Amen. Praise God. Well, you may be seated. I want to thank you for choosing to come out and join us in worship this morning. I'm going to get right into the Word of God this morning. Then we're going to also, the worship team will come back out and lead us in another. We're going to close out with a worship song that will be a, the, the blessing song. Send you out with a blessing. So thank you, Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your phones, whatever device you may be reading the scriptures on, I encourage you to go ahead and do so. Unfortunately, the words, the verses will not be on the screen behind me. We had a little power failure back there with our computer, so that'll get resolved quickly. So the Gospel of John, we had church for many years before we had computers and glitches and so so we can do this, right? We, we can do it. We, we're not thrown off. It's amazing how much, uh, how quickly we've become adapted to certain tools and technology and say, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do what we used to do. <laughs> we're going to preach God's word right from the scriptures, believe it or not. <laughs> so John chapter 1, I shared from this last Sunday morning, and the title is uh, it's a, a question, the form of a question, who are you? And this has uh, several shades of meaning to it. Obviously, the, the John the Baptist was asked who he is, but also it's a question that we need to be asking of ourselves, and not only asking it of ourselves, but have, the, have a ready answer so that when, those, when, when others around us and within our spheres of influence ask for a reason for the hope that is within us, that we have an intellectual heartfelt response that we can give to people and we can do so graciously and attractively and, 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 and be able to identify who we are and why we are who we are. So in, in John chapter 1, beginning at 19, says, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Verse 22. Then, who are you? We need an answer for those who send us. What do you have to say about yourself? And finally, John gives them an answer. John replied in the words of the prophet. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. And he gives this reply. Is that I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. I am a voice. I don't think they expected that particular answer to come. I thought they, they probably expected him to answer some in, in a different form. Obviously, John could have answered in his natural form. He said, I'm, the, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah, but I am his first cousin. Um, he, he, he could have pulled that card, but he chose not to. He simply replied, and I believe it was Holy Spirit motivated. He said, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming clearing the way for the Lord's coming. It's always good to have making room for God. The language here in, in clear the way for the Lord's coming, this language depicts the preparations that were made in advance 
uh, for a king's visit to, uh, to a province within his kingdom. It's uh, very similar to today when dignitaries come to town, when the president comes into a certain city. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, activity takes place beforehand. There's a lot of preparations take place before uh, here, even here in the United States when a president comes in, into a, a city. Preparations are made, security detail is taken care of, and there's a lot of uh, uh, pomp and circumstance goes along with, with a visit from the president in, into a city. And so basically, John is saying, prepare the way for the Lord, for the Lord's coming. So John is simply saying that I am an instrument, I am a tool in God's arsenal, in God's toolbox. I am a voice, and I'm pointing to another on the horizon. Another on the horizon. So there's a new horizon. There's a new day coming. Basically what John was saying. Uh, things are going to be different. They were accustomed to the law. The people that were sent to John here were, you know, they were the temple assistants, the Jewish leaders and the priests, very accustomed to the laws of Moses. They had their traditions. Uh, they, they pretty much liked the way things were. They liked their tradition. And they were a little bit... Uh, uneasy with John baptizing. They couldn't figure out, you know, who is this guy? He must be a prophet. He must be Elijah. Perhaps he's the Messiah. And if he's none of, the, none of the above, why is he doing what he's doing? Well, that's not unlike the interrogation that uh, many times as Christians, we ourselves receive in the culture that we're living in today. And even more so in some other cultures where there's even greater hostility uh, toward Christians. But John's reply that, that, that I'm simply an instrument, I'm a voice, and I'm pointing to another on the horizon. The promise on this horizon is not another religion. Uh, but it's uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And basically what's happening on the horizon here is the law that they've been so accustomed to and embraced is coming to an end. It's, it's being fulfilled, and there's a new dispensation. There's, there's a new way. Jesus, the Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. We're no longer going to need animal sacrifices. We're not going to need all this priestly activity any longer for people to be forgiven of their sin. There's, gonna, there, there, there's something new on the horizon. It's called the grace of God. Thank God for his grace. So interrogators may come to you and, and press their questions with force and power, but I want to encourage you to be in a position like John the Baptist, that, uh, that we should always be in that same type of position. We, we must give unflinching answers when asked, who are you and why are you believing what you're believing? Why are you saying what you're saying? And what is the reason for the hope that is within you? What is the reason for the hope that is within you? Now, we could take that several different ways. First of all, we could say the reason for the hope. First of all, do you, are you a hopeful person? Are people curious about your optimism? Are they curious about your outlook on the future? Are you hopeful or are we getting depressed like the rest of the world? Are we coming under the same uh, pressure that, that uh, non-Christians are, are, are coming under? And so first and foremost, we have a hope, and it should be visible. People should see a difference. We have, we have hope. We have an optimism concerning our lives here and our lives throughout eternity. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll turn to 1 Peter, the third chapter. Fifteen and sixteen said, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, 
always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Always be ready to explain the hope or the reason for the hope that is within you, but always do it in a gentle and respectful way. John, I am a voice shouting, prepare the way in the wilderness. That doesn't mean we all need to be shouting at one another. Matter of fact, we should not be shouting at one another. We should not be shouting at people, but we should have an emphasis. We should have a passion about the coming, about making room for Jesus Christ, making room for the grace of God in our lives, making room for the work of the Holy Spirit to have his way in our life, to be leading, to be guiding, to be directing us, and not to be... uh, uh, The scriptures call the people that that refuse to uh, receive the Holy Spirit and and being led by the Holy Spirit refers to them as being stiff-necked. I don't think it's wise to go around calling people stiff-necked. Again, we need to be gentle. Our language needs to be graceful, and it needs to be attractive. And introducing yourself and, and, uh, and accusing someone else of being stiff-necked because they don't agree with you is probably not a wise thing to do. But we do need to be, uh, we, we need to always be ready to explain. Can you explain to someone when they ask you for the reason for your hope? For the reason for your hope. And we need to, we, we want to get to a place where we are familiar With the scriptures, we are familiar with the promises of God's word, and we are familiar with our identification and our relationship to God that we can give a reasonable, a a graceful, attractive, and gentle answer that we can explain it, that I, I, I am who I am because of the grace of God that is within me. I don't know if this was a smart thing to do or not, but I did it. I was fresh out of Bible school, and I, I just uh, uh, was uh, working on a, on a construction site. And it was right, it was soon after that, uh, back in, that would have been in 1981, something like that. It was, it was soon after that airplane crashed down in Washington, D.C. It had too much ice on the wings, and it hit the, hit the bridge. I don't know if you remember that or not, and many people you know, ended up dying. And we're sitting on a construction site. We're sitting down for lunch, and the discussion came up about this particular airplane, and, and uh, they were debating as to why it happened. How, how did this happen? They were exp- trying to explain it from an you know, aerodynamic way, but also bringing God into it. How could God allow this to happen, and why did it happen, and if God is love, why did it happen? This conversation's just going on, and I'm just sitting there quiet, you know, that I'm thinking, you know, I'm, 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 full of my, I'm, I'm all full of myself. I'm fresh out of Bible school, and, and I thought eventually they're going to look to me, and they're going to ask me. And uh, sure enough, eyes went on over to me, and he said, well, what do you think? Why did that plane go down? I said, I have no idea why it went down. I said, but I do know. <laughs> I said, I do know, and boy, when I said, I do know, it was already quiet, and I got really quiet. I said, I do know, and people are leaning in, I do know that if I would have been on that plane, it would not have gone down. I thought, did I just say what I said? <laughs> I was marked for the rest of my tenure in that particular construction site. I became the Reverend Ray before I was even in ministry. (laughs) 
And I just went on to told them from my vantage point, I, th- I said, if I would have been honest, that I always pray and believe God. Uh, I said, I always lay my hands on the airplane. When I'm, when, I'm going, when I'm boarding a plane, right before I go into the plane itself, off the tunnel and into the plane, I lay my hands on I thank God that this plane is in service for the kingdom of God and it's going to take me from point A to point B. My most recent flight, I did that, and one of the flight attendants was watching me. I guess she saw me do that, and she saw me say something. She said, don't worry, this is a really good airplane. <laughs> I said, it certainly is. <laughs> But I just shared with him that I, I, I pray, and I said, I, either it would have never taken off, different decisions would have been made, the authorities that be would have decided not to even try it, or the angels, I don't know, whatever. I just, I just was fully persuaded that it wouldn't have happened. Now, you know, I can, I can say that. You can argue against that. That's not my point. My point being is that I felt like I was a voice for God, and when I said what I said, it's like, man, now all of a sudden I got all this attention coming to me, so... We need to always be ready to explain. So my explanation was that I don't think the plane would have taken off because I pray before I even get on a plane. I don't just pray for the airplane. I pray for the pilots, air traffic control, ground crew, mechanics, all the things that take place before a plane even pushes back. I mean, the plane has to be ready to go before they push back. Don't, don't start praying when it's ready to take off. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff needs to take place before that. So anyway, that's not just true with airplanes, it's true with cars, any type of motor transportation. But so, so we want to be uh, able to explain, but we want to do it in a gentle and respectful way. Last week I shared from Colossians 4 how we were told to, uh, how our conversation always needs to be gracious and it needs to be attractive. Even the Apostle Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, at the end of the chapter, he, he, he's uh, talking, uh, most of you may be familiar with Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about the armor of God and how we should be dressed in the full armor of God. But at his conclusion of, of, of t- teaching about prayer, at the conclusion of that, in verse 19, he said, and pray for me. This is the Apostle Paul asking the church at Ephesus. He said, pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. God is not a respecter of persons. So we need to know that. And when people ask you for the reason for your hope and why you're loving and why you're talking about, you know, building bridges and having softness of heart and, and having a right focus and having, taking, making sure the, the, the plank is out of your own eye before you focus on a splinter in someone else's eye. Why, why all this emphasis on, 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 on taking the high road? It's because we are, we are called and, and, and to have the right words to be gentle, to be respectful, to be gracious, and to be attractive in our conversation with one another, and with, especially with those that do not yet know Christ, that we have the right words, and as Paul said, so he could boldly explain. John, he said, I'm a voice shouting. Paul says, I want you to pray that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. We say mysterious. God's mysterious plan. What you have in being a born-again child of God by the grace of God is a mystery to people who don't have it. But it should no longer be a mystery to you and to me. Now, when I first received Christ as my Lord and Savior, I, I, I had the assurance of salvation, but pretty much the rest of uh, 
what happened in that transaction, what happened in me becoming a new person in Christ was mysterious to me. I, I didn't comprehend it. I didn't understand it. So it took time and it took seasons to, of, of getting in the word of God and hearing the word of God that, that the mystery of, of having living a life in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory, and the reason for that hope and to be able to communicate that hope, that takes time. I'm still learning. There's still things that are being revealed to me about this, this mysterious plan that we are called to give voice to. It's hard to give voice to something with passion and with, and with uh, grace and attractiveness and being gentle and being respectful if we're ignorant of it. But yet so many times we are ignorant of who we are as born-again children of God and, and we, we, we uh, sell ourselves way short of the privileges and, and, and the, the, the grace and the favor that is upon us as being born again into the kingdom of God's dear son. A mysterious plan, a mysterious plan that, and then he goes on and says, that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. And verse 20 says, I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I as I should. And we can pray that prayer over ourselves as we should. Scripture introduces us to a different way of thinking in which we, as, uh, which we as children of God are in a representative person. And it's mysterious. It's hard to wrap your natural brain around it. But we need to know who we are so that we can give voice to it and, and, and we can do so with boldness and with confidence. We are in a representative person who's act, and, and this person's actions and achievements become the actions and achievements of our very own. Being in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You may be familiar with the story in the Old Testament about uh, uh, David and Goliath. It's a great illustration of what I'm talking about when, when, when here when it's talking about this, being able to give voice to this mysterious plan. When Goliath of the Philistines came up against the army of Israel and challenged them to present a warrior to come out and fight against him. First of all, they were two representative people. Goliath represented the Philistines, and eventually David shows up on the scene and, and inquires as to what's going on, and he's told that this Goliath is challenging them, and, and, and he's, he's challenging them to come up with a warrior to, to, to take him on in battle. And the, the circumstances were, the challenge was that whoever wins this battle between Goliath representing the Philistines, David representing all of Israel. The challenge was that whoever wins this battle, if Goliath wins, all of Israel's history is changed and all the people of Israel become servants of the Philistines. They come over in this camp. If David prevails, all the Philistines are conquered, along with Goliath being conquered. So basically, Goliath was representing 
all of the Philistines. His actions, his victory would be their victory. His loss, his defeat is their defeat. Likewise, David's victory is Israel's victory. Representative individuals, they represented their people. And their actions had huge ramifications on the people. Likewise, we have a representative. His name is Jesus. And so many times this plan remains mysterious, but it really should not remain mysterious to you as a born-again Christian, as a child of God. What happened is God entered into a covenant. When you read the Old Testament, it's called covenant. And then your New Testament is called the new covenant. New is better. Amen? It's a new and better covenant established on better promises. The old covenant, under the old covenant, God entered into a covenant with a man named Abraham, and he told Abraham to walk uprightly in order to fulfill this covenant, walk uprightly before me all the days of your life. That command for him to walk uprightly was not fulfilled in Abraham himself. It was fulfilled in Abraham's seed, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, the seed of Abraham, when he fulfilled the, the command to walk uprightly all the days of your life. Jesus never sinned. He walked uprightly, perfectly, all the days of his life and never sinned. Therefore, he qualified to be the Lamb of God. And that's who John is giving voice to. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Prepare ye the way for the Lord. Make room for Jesus Christ. Jesus being the perfect Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, having walked uprightly all the days of his life, qualified to go to the cross, and through the shedding of his blood, established a new and a better covenant. A new and better covenant was established between God and Jesus Christ, and that covenant will never, and all the promises of the covenant are given to us in the New Testament, and all the promises of that covenant are yes and amen. They are sure they will never fail. They will never be revoked, and it will never fail because it's between God and Jesus. And Jesus never failed, and he never will fail. My point being is that this mysterious plan is between God and Jesus. It's been fulfilled for you. Jesus represented you. The reason for your hope, the reason I have hope, the reason I can say if I'm on it, it's not going down. It's because of my confidence in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not because I'm so good, oh, I'm so smart, or I'm so favored, which I am. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Jesus is my representative. He went to battle for me. He shed his blood for me. And I entered into a new and a better covenant. And I am now a part of what Paul refers to here is give me the wisdom, give me the boldness to communicate this mysterious plan. It's mysterious. And so when the question is asked, who are you? You are a covenant child of God. You are an instrument in God's arsenal. You are a voice of the Holy Spirit to speak forth the blessings and your position and your blessings as a child of God. The reason I have hope is because of Jesus Christ. 
The reason I don't need to be dismayed is because Jesus Christ. And my goal is, and I hope that your goal will be also, as the Apostle Paul said here, is that we have a voice, that we have that ability. Pray for us that we could boldly speak as we should, that we could clearly, concisely, and compellingly communicate the true character of God and, and having people making room for him, making, making the way for, for the Lord. Be prepared for him. Now, I want to share another scripture. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It's a very familiar scripture, but I just want to look at the one verse in here because many times we read them together. But this is talking about what I just shared with you, become, uh, being born again because, uh, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 17 let me begin reading at verse 16. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That in itself can be a lesson right there. Stop evaluating others from a human point of view. And also stop evaluating yourself from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we see him now. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Do you belong to Christ this morning? Can you say, yes, I belong to Christ? Then you are a new person. Everyone say, I'm a new person. This means, this means that you have become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's mysterious because in our natural being, I can remember way too much stuff about my old life. And if I'm not careful, I can remember way too much about your old life. Not all that old. Some of very recent. Myself included. But that's not who we are. I've, I shared this with you before, but I just heard it again recently. One of the professional athletes got in some type of trouble, and it, it, it's, almost, it's, it's almost like it's scripted for them. They come out on television, and they apologize. And say, it's not who I am. <laughs> it's not who I am. Yes, I beat my girlfriend, but that's not who I am. And really, the part that that's not who I am, if they're Christians, that is, that's true. Now, they shouldn't be beating the girlfriend or, or their wives or anything like that, but it almost, I just heard it just like within the last week. That's not, I apologize and blah, 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 and that's not who I am. Who are, who are we? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's called Christian hope. A new life has begun. I am in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Acts 17, 28 talks about how, how for in him, in him we live and we move and we have our being, or in him we live and move and exist. Who are you who we are, who God declares us to be, and who Jesus Christ has made us to be. So when you ask the question or someone asks it of you, here's your answer. We are or I am who God declares me to be and whom Jesus has made me to be. And they, 
might give some opposition. Well, I know you're not perfect, and I know you did this, or I heard you say this, or I saw you here, and said, no, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, we want to be living up to that. We don't just want to be living as the world lives and then always just use this as an excuse, always use this as a, as a way out. It's a reality. It's a mystery. But the mystery needs to be, we need to become informed about the mystery, that it's no longer a mystery to us, but we can communicate what's mysterious to other people. We can, com- we can communicate it in a gentle and respectful and graceful and attractive way. But it takes intellectual knowledge of Scripture, not just an experience of being loved by God, but also knowing what does the love of God decree and declare about us and what does the love of God expect of us and and in one another. Too many Christians are camping and have settled in on the fact that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that's really all the further they get. They can't explain the mystery. They don't have any foundation for explaining it to other people. And, and, their, and the rationale often ends up being in their decision-making processes. And I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about the average Christian here. I'm talking about even leadership and even churches and denominations. They, they, they camp out on the fact, well, we are Christians and our commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors. And so we need to love God and we need to love our neighbors. So, of course, we need to be accepting of this. And we need to be accepting of that. And, of course, we need to be uh, uh, condoning this and condoning that because who are we? We just, All we're supposed to do is love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and that's, that's the depth of it. But there's more to the mystery. Yes, God does love us. And, yes, we are to love God. But we're all supposed to know the God of love. And the God of love has spoken into our lives and how we are to conduct our lives. But we are to be able to understand that and also be able to communicate that in an attractive, a graceful and attractive way that is not offensive to those who are not understanding the mystery. So I am who God declares me to be and who Jesus has made me to be. I have no other identity. That's who I am. It's who I am. So we need to uh, come to grips with it, come to a place of understanding it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So that we we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. He created us anew, meaning that we are a new person, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago, long ago. So we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's promises are of no value to us when we make them subservient to our self-judgment. All the scriptures I just shared with you this morning about being a new person, the old life is gone, this particular scripture about being God's masterpiece, it is absolutely of no value if you make it subservient to your self-judgment. And usually that begins with, yeah, but I don't understand. How can that be? 
Don't have to be afraid to ask questions. There's nothing wrong with being honest that I don't understand that. How can that be? But don't let that be the final judgment. Let that be the impetus that gets you into the Word of God to find out what is the Scripture revealing to me about who am I? Am I able to give a clear and concise, passionate answer to the character, the true nature and character of God's love? And give a clear, concise answer on who I am and who we are in Jesus Christ and be able to, uh, to have that affect our lives and, and to have a renewed sense of, uh, of understanding. Our present sense of identity is determined how, either by how we see ourselves in Christ or how we see ourselves in relationship to one another. How are you identifying yourself? Are you identifying yourself as you see yourself in relation to others? I can look around and say, well, I'm doing better than they are. And I can look at others and say, I'm not doing as well as they are. I don't know who they think they are. And I don't know why God's favored them more than me, but and then I look at other people and say, I'm doing quite well. Praise God. And it gets all screwed up from there. And so our present sense of identity needs to be determined by how we see ourselves in Christ Jesus and how you see yourself in Christ Jesus is in direct correlation with how you understand the mysterious plane of the gospel. Don't be afraid of mystery. Explore it. It's an adventure. Enjoy the process and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And let's not be comparing ourselves among ourselves. It's the quickest way to get discouraged. What God has spoken, when you read the scriptures, what God has spoken was sufficient for Jesus, and it is sufficient for me, and it's sufficient for you. When Jesus was being challenged concerning his identity, he just simply replied, it is written, or I am. In John chapter 8, they're putting pressure on him about who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? You think you're greater than Abraham? He just said, I am. Or in Luke 4, in the, in, the, in the wilderness temptation, if you are the son of God, challenging his identity as the son of God, he just simply said, it is written. Know what is written about you. Know what this new and better covenant, know what is written into this covenant that, that is defining who you are, who we are as a people. It was sufficient for Jesus, and it, it needs to be sufficient for you and for me. God the Father, when you read the scriptures accurately, and when you understand this, that, that you have someone that represented you, and his name is Jesus, and what has been spoken over you, when you read scriptures, it's that he has, he has present, he presented me holy and blameless before God. Holy and blameless before God. That's because God sees us and he sees you through your representative. And your representative is Jesus. Nothing is more important than for us to be doing exactly what the Father has done and continues to do, and that is to speak life, to speak blessings and favor over us as he sees us in Christ. He called Gideon a mighty warrior when he was hiding, paralyzed in fear in the wine press, but he called him a mighty warrior. He called Abraham a father of many nations when he didn't have any children. 
In Romans 4, God identifies himself as the one who calls those things that do not exist as though they did, the things that are not as though they are. You begin speaking the blessing, the, the mystery. You release the blessings of the mystery by reading, understanding what they are, and then you speak them even before they are current reality. Amen. You speak blessing. God has spoken blessing over us. He has called us his very own. And nothing is more important to you and to us than, than to receive God's blessings. And on a human level, on, a, on this relationship level, nothing is more important or more essential to a child's identity than, for, than a father's blessing to be spoken over his children. Fathers, speak life, speak blessings over your children. Don't condemn your children. Don't frustrate them. Speak life over them. Speak blessing over them. Speak encouragement, wisdom, grace. Mothers, do the same thing. Parents, speak, to you, speak life and blessing and favor over one another. It confirms value, love, and acceptance when we hear that we are loved. When we hear that we are valued and cared for. And that's what God wants to do. In, in Numbers chapter 22, we, Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 22, it's, it's called the priestly blessing. Let me read it, and then we're going to have the worship team bless us with it. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you, and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Now listen to this, verse 27. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. The worship team's gonna sing this blessing over us today, and according to this scripture, God himself is going to bless you. Why don't you stand up and be blessed. <laughs>